Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. Welcome to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. The Red Angel episode. Yeah, and you know, you know, before we get into all the all the the deets on the Red Angel, Paul, you know, the big Star Trek news this week was actually telling us something that we already knew that Anson Mount and Rebecca Romaine will not be back for season three. We 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 had kind of put out there this thought. Well, maybe I had put it out there. Because I don't know that you did this thought that maybe Rebecca Romaine was transitioning to be the captain of Discovery because it seemed wasteful yeah. to bring uh, an, an actress of, of that name recognition in for essentially a cameo. And maybe we'll see more of her. But, you know, we're 10 episodes in now and no, no more Rebecca Romaine. I went and looked on her IMDb this morning to see if they because mm-hmm. they'll always show what they've got in production. And it doesn't list any additional appearances as number one. Now I would be really surprised if we don't see her in the last episode as you know, yeah. command is transitioning off of, off of discovery from Pike. But I agree. It's so weird that yeah. they, that they brought her in for such a small role that they went to, I mean, cause you could have had anybody serve those functions. In fact, you could have had, that could have been, Hey, I got a report, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you didn't have to have a person. So it's so weird to me. That they brought Rebecca Romaine in, and when she looks so damn good in that uh, original series Star Trek uniform, I yeah. just it blows my mind. Well, and how many episodes are there in season two? I forget. Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. So we still have five episodes to go. So right. she may, you know, pop up more uh, throughout the the next couple of episodes. But you know, it is kind of surprising that that she won't be returning for next year. But it's not surprising that Anson Mount wouldn't be you know yeah. we, we you know in in continuity it doesn't make sense for him to captain the discovery for for yet another year um but i will say it's a bummer in that i really like anson mountain's I take on uh, on pike uh but given where this leads there's really not much story to to fill the gap for his character so it's not like they can do a spin-off necessarily transitioning to where we saw him in the original series. Uh, the, like the, at this point there's there's really not much left there to tell. Well, he's still got keep in mind this is 10 years. Season 1 was 10 years. I'm sorry. 5, right? I thought it was 10 from the date of the start of the war. Right? Okay. So it's been I think showtime it's 2 or 3 years. Right. So I think yeah. I think that that gives us something like five or seven years 
between now and Captain Kirk's tour on uh, the Enterprise. So there's still some room there. Yeah, How- true. However, I did see a reference uh, from Alex Kurtzman saying that when they transition at the end of the season with Anson Mount, you'll see him sinking up more to what we know happens in Pike's life. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we do, we do know that, you know, Spock's not with him. Spock is not a... Uh, Pike is like an admiral when that happens. Yeah. So, you know, he is not a, a, a command guy. So maybe what we see at the end of the season is Pike is, is promoted to admiral. Yeah. I and think I, th- that, that's- I think his, his title was fleet admiral if I'm, if I'm not uh, mistaken, but I bet we see that promotion at the end of the show. Yeah. And I would love to see more of his character. Uh, you know, I think when it comes to wanting a spinoff, I think in, in the Star Trek universe, I think it's very, it's tricky to do multiple simultaneous Star Trek shows unless they offer something different, mm-hmm. like Deep Space Nine did, you know, versus uh, Next Generation kind of thing. Right. I think you can't just have two space exploration shows without there being, you know, a, a bit of like redundancy there. Well, and I have a recommendation along those lines, which we'll get into in, in just a little bit. But, you know, I <laughs> there is something about Anson Mount that I find so compelling. I, I have really enjoyed him in this role, and not the least of which is that he is just an awfully attractive man. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of looking around the crew mm-hmm. um, this week, and I'm like, you know, these guys are all kind of ripped. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I look at it and I, I start thinking about about the other Star Trek crews that we've gotten yeah. to know, and I really feel like any member of the Discovery crew – could kick the ass of any member of any other Star Trek crew. Yeah, other than Enterprise, you're right. I think this is possibly the most fit crew yeah. we've seen. Well, you know, I, there, there's not an overweight one amongst the group. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sonequa Martin-Green is all lean body mass. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that scene this week where she's uh, you know beating on a, uh, a, 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 a boxing dummy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm looking at her. I'm like, Jesus Christ! You couldn't hammer a nail through her. <laughs> you know, I mean, she she is just a rock. And and I, you kind of look at that. I mean, the I, I think the they're the least fit person in the crew is probably uh, I always Admiral Jennings. Is that her name? Cornwell. Admiral Cornwell. Thank you. I don't know why I always want to call her Jennings. Uh, Admiral Cornwell. You know, she's she's skinny, but she's not, you know, ripped. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, you know, even Tilly, who's who, you know, is a little bit more robust. She seems awfully fit. I mean, they, you know, yeah. they, they just she, she run. She ran a half marathon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not running any half marathons, <laughs> but uh, I, I just I'm, I'm amazed at the at, at how lean these guys are, how fit these guys are. And I keep thinking, you know, what's on the craft service table? You know, when they're shooting yeah. that show, it's, you know, here's your kale. Yeah. <laughs> here's your green, here's your green drink. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it, it, it had not occurred to me before, but yeah, you, you know, you think about the original crew, which I mean, don't get me wrong. They were all relatively fit, but I mean, they were 1960s fit. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, eventually Scotty became Scotty. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, uh, well, William Shatner became did. William Shatner. Yeah. yeah. They all kind of did. I mean, they all kind of aged into, you know, the body that a 50, 60 year old man has. I mean, you know, they all, yeah. they all got round. But yeah. uh, <laughs> other than DeForest Kelly, right? I mean, he just he just got, you know, skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Yeah. But I, I they never had the the uh, physique that these guys have. And yeah. I just, uh, man, it blows my mind when I see it. I'm like, God dang. I just, you know, when, when you have the, uh, the, uh, you know, competition between the ships, like they did in deep space nine, like your crew will play baseball against my crew. You yeah. know, it's going to be, we're going to play, we're going to play touch football. We're going to murder all your asses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, when we see in the episode this week where, uh, uh, Michael Burnham punches out uh, Captain Leland. Yeah. You know, you feel that because you know Captain Leland's a little pudgy, and yeah. you know you, you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, she broke his nose <laughs> twice. Well, <and> Captain, you <laughs> know, <laughs> both, both sides. Um, yeah, Captain Leland. You know that 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 was a revelatory scene that we already kind of knew, but at least we right. got an explanation for that. We there's it's funny, like we we closed a lot of plot threads in this episode. Yes. Um, or, you know, resolved a lot of plot threads, I should say, yeah. uh, including that scene where she punches him in the nose, um, which reveals that. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, let's oh, let's let, let's start from the very beginning since we're ah, the show. So I was jumping in. I know we're teasing. <laughs> so you the, wait. the show opens <laughs> up with Arium's funeral, which I was happy to see, you know, that we didn't yeah. just jump into the action this week and and forget that we had, you know, just an emotionally exhausting episode last week with the loss of uh, Commander Arium. And and we spend some time with the crew eulogizing her, which Mm -hmm. put me in mind, Paul, of what it's going to be like when uh, either you or I pass away. You know, uh, we, we see, you know, the, the, the episode starts with, uh, Captain Pike saying, you know, extolling her virtues and saying that, you know, Commander Arium was fierce, fiercely loyal to her crew and her ship. And I wonder, you know, what they'll say about me, you know, what Paul, when you're standing up there, what are you going to say about Aaron? You know, is it going to be Aaron was the laziest bastard I've ever known? Kind of a jackass. I mean, it would be probably similar to that. It would probably be Aaron was on a podcast with me. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I, I do want to say I appreciate that you know that I'm going to outlive you. Oh, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I I think that, that the only way that you won't outlive me is that you are somehow lost in the speed force. Which you is know, possible, that, but you know, but you're my tether, Aaron, <laughs> <laughs> or my lightning rod. So when I go, you go. Nobody gets out of this alive, Paul. Is that exactly. how that goes? That's exactly how those this are, is going. Those are kind of my marriage vows. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we 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 mourn Arium, and I gotta tell you, I was very disturbed. There's a scene where you know they they've kind of got Arium laid out on the table. Uh, you know, they they, yeah. they they figured out that, you know, they didn't have to let Arium just tumble in space. They could beam her aboard, which would have been helpful, you know, while she was still alive. Yeah. Um. So they've got Arium laying out on the table and they take her head apart, 
which I found very unsettling, and delete all her memories. And, you know, there was a moment where I'm like, well, why the hell did you do that? I mean, that she she has the ability to live on forever through those archived memories, but because the uh, control uh, subsystems, you know, uh, parasite, viruses, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, could have been there, they had to play it cool and, you know, play it safe and just delete the whole schmear. You, you know, know so do you... So they did a format C colon. (laughs) Old school DOS. (laughs) Um, Do they, do you think, this occurred to me in between last week and this week, that there is perhaps some connection between Arium and the discovery of the future that we saw in one of those short treks where the ship has become um, omniscient, not omniscient. Uh, self-aware, yeah, is yeah. that the same thing? I, I do. I, uh-huh. I, I feel because I feel like all of those short tricks play in. Yeah, at some point. I mean, I don't think we're going to see Harry Mud this season, but uh, I do think that all of those short tricks are somehow meaningful to what we're doing here. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And so, yeah, we've won't, we've Harry Mud. Yeah, I think that was a fun one-off. We've already seen Saru's thing come to play, but we still have the two outstanding threads with Tilly. And, um, you know, that one character on the other planet and now, uh, you know, the, the future discovery that haven't really come to fruition. But, you know, we still have a couple more, few more episodes of yeah, the season. There's still time. There's still time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so so we we're, we're mourning her. You know, we get to hear Saru sing. Saru, Saru has a lovely singing voice. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we we we, you know, have deleted Arium's memories, and we have jettisoned her off to space for the last time. And, you know, we cut to the briefing room where we're all sharing what we know. And this is the beginning of something that I I particularly didn't care for in this episode. Because this was the we figure shit out episode. But it all we figure it out all off screen. You know, Tilly comes to the room and said, hey, you know, I was going through Arium's files and I found Project Daedalus. So if you'll recall, at the end of the last episode, Arium, you know, right before she dies, tells Michael Burnham, Michael Burnham, it's all about you, and you got to find Project Daedalus. Aye! Right? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was having flashbacks right there. Right there, right? A little post-traumatic stress disorder there? Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, she... So instead of Michael Burnham going off and questing for this, they're in the room going, yeah, you know, i got to figure out some shit that uh, Arium told me. Hey, t- hey, Michael Burnham, I'm Tilly, and I figured your shit out. I mean, yeah. that really bugged me. On the one hand, I'm like, great, we know what Project Daedalus is now, on the, or we, we know that there's a reference to Project Daedalus. On the other hand, that seemed awfully easy. But the thing yeah. that she really finds out about is that we've got uh, – uh, biological readings on the Red Angel, and what what did we find out, Paul? What did Tilly tell us? What did the, what did that, she tell us? Who's the Red Angel, is, Paul? That it's Michael. And who said that it was Michael? You. Yeah, yeah, I did, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, but spoiler warning: you're both wrong. <laughs> Suck it. But for forty minutes in that episode, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> 
yeah. So, you know, there's, and that's a good point because there is a lot of, there's a lot of exposition in this episode. And, and Fuck I will say for me, exposition. Fuck ton I, of it. I mean, they, it's like they could have spent the entire episode just sitting around a table. So what'd you figure out uh, between uh, last week and this week? Yeah. You know, and, and I will say as a viewer for me, that was frustrating. I yeah. got to certain points of the episode. I'm like, wait, what? Like what, what's happening? Why, why is she there? What, what is this trap thing? Like, it's all very like quickly explained and move along. And I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I need to watch this again. Well, and I feel like when you're 10 hours into a story where we've been hunting our cheese, right? Cause remember our cheese yeah. for the longest time was Spock and now our cheese is the red angel. Yeah. Um, I, it seems to me like I've earned the right to be in the room when the discovery is made. Yeah. And that's what I found frustrating about the way the story was told. I agree. Captain Giorgio and Captain Leyland from section 31 come over and they say, Hey, you know, we're going to help you guys find this red angel lady. We got some, we got some deets for you. And so we find out a little bit more about this project Daedalus because lo and behold, project Daedalus was a secret, uh, project by the, 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 uh, the skunk works crew over at section 31. And it was their time travel, uh, uh, project. And, you know, they had found out that the Klingons way back in the day, like 20 years ago or so, were experimenting with uh, time travel. And they're like, hey, shit, you know, the, these uh, these Klingon guys, they're assholes. You don't want them going back in time and, and, and fucking up our shit, right? So, uh, you know, because otherwise we're all going to, you know, come back with the uh, strange looking foreheads. So, you know, we're all going to be speaking Klingonese. So, uh, you know, they, they, they start their own project and that whole red angel suit is straight up a section 31 design. Yeah, that was section 31 is like they everything bad in this season is tied <laughs> to section 31. You know, at no point in this episode did they actually confront the folks of section 31 and say, hey, bitches, why are you framing Spock? Uh-huh. I found that like, well, that huh, was control. That's- control did that. Yeah, but I guess I didn't get an explanation as to why Control did that. Well, because Control was figuring, you know, knew that the Red Angel had visited Spock, and so it it wanted to capture Spock and, you know, uh, tear his mind apart to grab those secrets. So in order to capture Spock, it had to make Spock, uh, you know, uh, know, the most wanted person in the Federation. Created that whole scenario. And I agree. Nobody Nobody has laid that out. You know, you had to figure that out on your own. Uh, they have not given you any help. And so, and there, there's actually another piece of this that it, I only figured out uh, on the second viewing of this episode. Because I was like, well, how the fuck did that happen? Um, but we'll come to that in just a moment. But so, you know, they reveal Red Angel. That's kind of our thing. And, you know, there, there, there of course, is now, wait a minute. You've known what this Red Angel thing is all along, and you didn't bother telling us. And it was all, like, well, it was all need to know kind of thing, you know. We don't, we're not good at sharing in Section 31. Um, but, you know, they reveal to Section 31 that, you know, they believe that inside that Red Angel suit is future Michael Burnham. And then they thus proceed to create a scenario uh, on you know how how can we capture this thing? How do we build a net? How do we build a better mousetrap to capture the Red Angel? And so of course you know they get Paul Stamets on it, and so Stamets is like, well you know if you had you know an almost unachievable level of power, you could create this graviton field, and you know we can uh, we can use our proton packs. 
and you know uh, get the get the red angel and bring it down into the little trap where we you know keep Slimer right. Um, and so that's uh, a, good, 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 good analogy. <laughs> well, it, it, did you notice they almost crossed the streams, Paul? Almost, almost you never crossed the streams. The streams. Yeah. Never. <laughs> but uh, they, 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 you know, devised this plan. But how are we going to lure her here? Well, meanwhile, oh, in that scene, this is important to note. In that scene, Culber walks in while you know Stamets is uh, mansplaining all of this to Captain Georgiou, and Captain Georgiou is. So weird in this scene because she seems yeah. fascinated by Stamets. I mean, like sexually fascinated by Stamets, yeah. and then it becomes overtly sexual because she's 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 all like, you know. <laughs> I mean, I just yeah. almost expected her to lick him. You know, it was it was so intensely sexual. And when Culver comes in, and Culver, when Culver comes in, and there is that awkward dynamic between you know Stamets and Culver. You know, she even more so. And she starts flirting with Culbert and calls him puppy. <laughs> that killed me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, because in her universe, Stamets was pansexual. As was Culbert. As was Culbert. And it sounded like maybe there were some hot three ways. Yeah. But not in this universe. Yeah, not in this yeah. universe. But, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I, I was highly amused at the discomfort in that scene because Georgiou's sort of wandering around like a panther, you know, just kind of just sort of antagonizing both Culber and Stamets. And Tilly could not be more uncomfortable in that scene. In fact, you know, we even get once Georgiou leaves the room, what was that? <laughs> I thought that was a funny scene. I, I, I yeah. rather enjoyed it. Um, though, it, doesn't it seem weird? You know, everybody else is in uniforms, and I understand that Culber hasn't returned to duty. Um, but, you know, he's just wandering around in the sports coat. It yeah. just seems weird to me. You know, it seems like there, he would have some other sort of more appropriate uh, uh, off-duty wear. <laughs> it, it cracks me up because he looks like he's about to go clubbing. Yeah, I'm on my way to the disco. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what I found interesting about that is not long and, after that scene, and by the Culver... Way, Col- yes. Culber's, Culber's another guy who'd kick your ass. I mean, that yeah. son of a bitch is cut. Yeah, he is. Just saying. Oh, go ahead, Paul. <laughs> um, what, what I found interesting is Culber goes to the Admiral to ask for relationship advice. And I found that scene very, like, confusing. Because, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go to the CEO of the company I work for and yeah. ask for relationship advice. But like, is, what about the Admiral? Is you, did you find that appropriate? Well, but is your CEO a psychiatrist? No. Because we know from the previous season that she is, that she has a, a background in uh, behavioral health. Because she, you, you remember when she was seeing Lord? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's she right, has right. that background. And he says that to her. You know, he says, yeah, you know, I know you're a therapist, you know, is, you know, hopefully I could you know, talk to you for a little bit. And this is my idea for a spinoff show, Paul. It would be Star uh-huh. Trek Frasier. Oh. You know, you, you could have, you know, hey, baby, uh, Admiral Cornwell, you know, on listening, you know. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it kind of, you know, she, she could kind of broadcast across the Federation, you know, across Starfleet, you know, uh, counseling via her, uh, her uh, radio show, Star Trek Frasier. I, I just don't feel like that would do that well. You could have First Officer Niles. I think it'd be great. <laughs> I, 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 w- I don't know that I'd watch it, Aaron. <laughs> you can have, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, there, 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 his, uh, uh, his Admiral Cornwall's, uh, you know, live-in uh, physical therapist, you know, could be a Betazoid, and I'm a little bit psychic. You know, the whole thing. I like it. <laughs> All right, CBS, give us a call. <laughs> Mostly me. You know, they, they own Fraser. They own Star <laughs> Trek. It, oh. This writes oh. itself, Paul. <laughs> does it? It does. It does. It all works out. <laughs> you have a Klingon hosting the sports show. It, it all works out. Um, <laughs> Burnham goes over to see Captain Leland, who is spending some quality time with Saru as they kind of figure out this whole uh, equation. And here's an important note. And it just gets dropped by Saru. And I didn't catch this until my second viewing. But Saru says, uh, when they're they're saying, okay, so the temporal wormhole will open, you know, when the Red Angel's coming through, when we've set this trap, um, you know, the the wormhole will open. And it is our task to close that wormhole as fast as we can. Otherwise, future controls program could come through. That's oh, really I that. that is and yeah I mean I missed it the first time uh, it flew right by me the first time and that's important for later on in the show um, because I had a I had a moment early later on in the show I'm like what the fuck and we'll come back to that but Burnham comes in and you know she she asks for a moment alone with Captain Leland and we get the big reveal of Leland's relationship with her parents we had seen in an earlier episode where Giorgio says. You know, what what are you going to do if uh, Michael Burnham finds out that you got her parents killed? And we found we find out that her parents were working for Section 31, uh, that they were helping develop the Red Angel. Um, And, you know, that there was a a stolen time crystal. And I'd like to point out, nobody bothers to explain what the fuck a time crystal is other than a crystal that helps power your time suit. Yeah, <laughs> I, that really bugs me. It's like, okay, is where does that fall on the periodic table? <laughs> you know, I usually will explain something by giving it a scientific name, right? You know, dilithium, right? I, 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 but time crystal sounds a little new agey to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, I, I, that that really bothered me. That we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna hand wave that with time crystal. This is Star Trek. I really need to know. That, that, you know, we found this element, you know, at, in the center of a star or something like that. I just I just need a little bit more. I understand that it's make-believe. I understand that it's fiction. I just need a little bit Star Trek gravy on that to uh, make it feel wholly part of Star Trek. Yeah. Because Time Crystal just sounded, you know, just sounded Shirley MacLaine-y to me. I just, boy, <laughs> that, was, that, that was really terrible. You know, I mean, it, it, it sounded like, you know, she's got one of the Infinity Stones. You know, it's like Thanos yeah. is going to come out of that wormhole looking for the Time Stone. Yeah, maybe is Loki around for this? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Loki, ta- not, not as in low key, two separate <laughs> words, tie in. Uh-huh. To upcoming Endgame, you didn't even know. You didn't. This even was know. all. This was all predecessor to Endgame. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be a whole thing. You know. <laughs> but you know, Rocket Raccoon fits right in, Paul. Ah, oh, I would kill to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> but not the Fraser show. Yeah. Come on. No. Come on. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Aaron. <laughs> It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, we find out that they were working for Section Thirty One. 
Captain Leland apologizes. He was young. He was ambitious. He didn't give them enough protection. The Klingons were there specifically looking for Burnham's parents. He got them killed. He feels guilty about it. I mean, I'm surprised Leland is not just a mustache-twirling Section 31 guy like we've seen in Deep Space Nine, for instance. He's actually, you know, a, a decent guy at heart. He's just willing to play a little fast and loose with ethics. And, uh... We get to see all of this just wash over Michael Burnham. And she beats the shit out of him with a one-two combination, uh, breaking his nose on the left, as Paul said, and on the right. <laughs> I mean, he he goes down like a ton of bricks. And uh, she lets him know, this isn't over, and uh, exits the scene. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Leland had it coming. And, you know, if... We knew that he was concerned about Michael Burnham, and this is one of the things I found interesting that is one of the things I didn't understand. I think I even mentioned it in that episode where we talked about Giorgio saying, what are you going to do if Michael Burnham finds out that you got her parents killed? And I'm like, well, why does he care? You know, unless other than, you know, he's a decent guy and he doesn't want people to think ill of him. But, you know, he's in a job where, you know, if he's doing his job right, people are going to think ill of him, right? Um, I, I just... I don't understand, other than maybe getting his ass kicked, why he's scared of Michael Burnham. Unless maybe he knows more about the situation with the Red Angel than we he's already revealed than we know. Well, they already said that you know, there's a lot of gaps in your story. Right. And then they're like, well, you only need to know. And she's like, well, I feel if I'm the mission, I need to know. And then, you know, the Admiral's like, Burnham. Shut your face. Well, and, you know, even this scene occurs after that scene that you're referencing. So I still don't think we know everything that Leland knows. I think no, there's no, something agreed. else. I think because, there's still gaps. Yeah, mm-hmm. because otherwise, why is he worried about what Michael Burnham thinks? Yeah. But, you know, so we, we get to that scene where Michael Burnham's beating the hell out of that uh, boxing dummy. And uh, Spock comes in. And, you know, I, I I feel like this scene is rather earned. In that we got to see uh, how concerned Spock was in the prior episode where it looked like Arian was going to get get out and kill Michael Burnham. Um, and we saw the, the emotion etched on his face and, and the, the stress in his voice. And, uh, you know, we really could see how much, despite how angry Spock is, how much Spock cares for, for Michael. Um, and that's it's a very tender scene between the two of them. And, and they finally reach... Uh, you know, a reconciliation, you know, that, that he forgives her for the hurt she's done. And, and, you know, she accepts uh, his forgiveness and, you know, really kind of comes to a place because he says, you know, you, you, you accept responsibility for things that aren't your fault. Um, And, you know, and she actually understands and accepts that, that uh, uh, characterization of who she is and how she, she acts in the world. And I just thought it was a really sweet scene. Yeah, I thought the 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 moment actually Burnham, this was very much a Burnham episode. Yes, and I will say it did a lot to because I, I still feel like sometimes she's she's because of her her you know Vulcan upbringing still can be a little alien, right? A little cold, a little cold. Yeah, and this episode you know definitely had moments where you see beneath the surface, which I appreciated. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I liked that scene and it and it's in the moments of this scene that they figure some stuff out. You know, Spock reveals, and again, it's another thing where he figured something out when he wasn't on camera about the Red Angel. And the variances in the way the Red Angel appears is Burnham. When Burnham has been threatened, when her life is at stake, 
the Red Angel shows up. And of course, you know, that would make sense if she is the Red Angel come from the future. It makes sense that she's wanting to protect her own life, you know, because it's, as they say later in the episode, it's the grandfather effect uh, or the grandfather paradox. If you die now, you can't, you're not going to be alive in the future to come back and save yourself, right? So, you know, you've got to come back and, 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 and take care of that. So they decide that the way they bait this mousetrap is they bait it with Michael Burnham. That, you know, they have to put her life at risk so that the Red Angel will come and that they can cap- capture the uh, the uh, Red Angel with the proton beams, right? So, you know, that's the plan. And, you know, they, 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 you know, good news, we've got a power source where we can generate the equivalent of 12 warp cores because that's how much power you're going to need to be able to capture this Red Angel. So Gigawatts. Yeah, gigawatts. <laughs> <laughs> you know we got we got to get back in time, Paul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they 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 go to this planet that Section Thirty One knows all about, where there's this you know almost an endless supply of deuterium, and you know the, fortunately there's a, there's a processing base there where they can set up, and the idea is that we're going to let uh, Michael Burnham painfully asphyxiate so that it lures the Red Angel in. And, you know, everyone's, you know, they've got her, you know, strapped down into the chair, you know, they, they blow out all the atmosphere in the room and immediately, uh, uh, Michael Burnham starts painfully asphyxiating because it's not just that the, that the atmosphere is full of carbon monoxide. It's also got these particulates that are going to make it extremely painful because, you know, when you asphyxiate from, uh, from, uh, carbon monoxide, you just fall asleep. And that is not dramatic for television, Paul. You know, just watching her get a good good nap before you know her 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 endless night, <laughs> her uh, peaceful that, passing. Yeah, that that is not good television. You have got to see her suffer and suffer. She does, Paul. It is hard to watch. Um, and I, I skipped over the part where she and Ash Tyler had a moment before she uh, went down. Oh yeah, but uh, you know, so uh, you know, she and Ash Tyler have have uh, made up and. It, it it all you know. Every, everybody loves Michael Burnham in this moment. You know, we've raised that that stake where no one's going to be happy. I mean, we can even tell Leland seems genuinely concerned about Michael Burnham. Certainly, Georgiou as she's going out to the chair, and this is really interesting because you know we're talking about uh, the mirror universe dictator, right? Who ha- is operating under the guise of Captain Georgiou. There is a really tender moment between these two people, and again, Michelle Yeoh, kick your ass. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know they 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 make every effort to display how intensely physically fit Michelle Yeoh is by putting her in leathers that are just painted on, and I mean there there is no doubt in my mind that she could she could whoop your ass with a finger. <laughs> she she is she is wicked tough, um, but there is a, a lovely scene between the two of them. Just a lovely yeah. scene, and it's just a moment where you know there's no words because Georgiou's not a wordy person. She's not going to tell you about how she feels by saying, "You know, I, I'd really be sad if you died, Michael Burnham." No, it, it is this. It is a look, and it's the the simple hand on the shoulder kind of thing. And I just thought it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, I, I thought so too. It was, yeah. it was uh, like I said, a lot of these tender moments because people are genuinely concerned about her, and it's everyone on the bridge <clears throat> is genuinely concerned about Burnham. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I will say, I, I think that one of the things that really distinguishes Star Trek Discovery from other versions of Star Trek is how much we as an audience are asked to care about these characters. Not, 
excuse me, not, you know, hey, you should like these characters, but, you know, we should be genuinely concerned about not just how they feel and, you know, that they live and that they die, but how they feel in their relationships and how healthy those relationships are. Uh, we are we are pulled in more so than than almost any other Star Trek series than, than any other Star Trek series as a whole, and almost uh, more so than any individual Star Trek episode. I mean, I can think of a few Star Trek episodes that really pull you in emotionally, uh, like when Dax dies. I mean, that is that is yeah. All, I, I I can't get through that with a dry eye. But of course, you've got seven years, six years with Dax at that point. I don't have anywhere near that level of investment with uh, Sonequa Martin Green as uh, as Michael Burnham. But this show demands that sort of emotional connection, and they do everything they can to make sure that you engage at that emotional level. And I just think that other Star Trek incarnations just didn't care to make that connection because they were more telling a science fiction story. Agreed. I think this is, you know, even though they're this episode, I would, even though it is time travel, I would genuinely say um, it was really more fantastic, right? Than uh, than science fiction. Yeah, it's time travel, but like well, it's not really if, explained if, in the way normal. Right. Um, if it was science fiction, Paul, we'd be we'd either be jumping through an arch to travel yeah. through time, or we'd be slingshotting around a sun. This whole time crystal stuff—that's just witchcraft. That's all witchcraft. That is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I can't support this whole time crystal technology bullshit. <laughs> but uh, so we we uh, straight up murder uh, Michael Burnham. She dies. Everybody's upset because you know they they try to get out there and save her. In fact, it's Giorgio who says, "Get the fuck out of my way. We're going to get the oxygen and and uh, you know take care of Michael before she dies." And Spock won't let him. You know that 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 Michael Burnham is the variance, and they've got to let this thing play out. And Michael Burnham straight up dies. Smash to credits. The end. No. <laughs> well, that's where I stopped watching. I was like, "Oh, oh okay, Michael well- Burnham's dead." Yeah. <laughs> the show's over. It's kind of like Penny Dreadful. Um, no, other things happen, Aaron, oh. that you may have missed. <laughs> so, at, you know, the, the Spock's theory or assumption is correct. The Red Angel bursts from the stars, tearing a hole through time. You know, and again, who knows if Central, Center, whatever the hell. Control. Control came through with it with the Red Angel, but I'm sure we, we will find out in a future episode. Well, um, so here's the thing: remember, Saru said we have to close the wormhole as fast as we can, mm-hmm. otherwise Control will come through. We had a conversation in the briefing room earlier in the show where we're all sitting around the table and say, "Well, you know, we had all the Section Thirty One ships scan for the Control virus, and they all mm-hmm. came back clean." So in, when the Red Angel comes through, wormholes open, the Section 31 ship moves into position so that they can shut down, and this big wave, like a big tachyon pulse, you know, spools out and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, smashes both of the ships pretty hard. And, you know, they're having trouble getting the, the amount of power that Ash Tyler needs to be able to shut down the wormhole. And so mm-hmm. Captain Leland runs to the little special space where he, you know, authorizes these things. This seems wildly inefficient, by the way. But he's yeah. got to run off the bridge, do a, you know, uh, ocular scan to prove that he's him to be able to override the security measures. I mean, it's like, wait, uh-huh. wait, 
wait, don't shoot us yet. I've got to override security measures. Yeah. <laughs> but is and when what that, happens when that pulse went out, I believe the control uh, reintegrated into the ship because when he uh, puts his head in the lamp, a little pokey thing comes out and, you know, pokes him through his eye and into his brain, I believe. I think Captain Leland may be dead. Um, oh, you think so? I wasn't sure. Like, it it, it happens so quickly that the, these needles basically pop out through the ocular sensor uh-huh. and shoot him in the eyes or stab him yeah. in the eyes. Um, Which is a little bit like getting a glaucoma test. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was like, ow! Yeah, th- this is why I hate going to the optometrist. <laughs> well, and they were so focused on it, I knew something was coming. I knew it, and then the things poked out, and I'm like, oh god! Ah. <laughs> well, you know, he says, uh, you know, he says, you know, over override security protocols, and you know, he complains to the computer, it can't be that hard, and the computer responds to him, it can't be that hard, and he's like, what? Zap to the eye! I mean, just yeah. zap! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, poor guy. I think Captain I, Cap, I think Captain Leland's dead, or maybe it used that opportunity to implant some sort of nanotechnology into him, and so we'll he's see. he's going to wake up with a really red eye, and you know have a little you know uh, control v- virus crawling around his uh, nervous system. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. But uh, so they they close the wormhole, and again, that's how I think. Because I was like, what well, doesn't make any sense? Why did they even bother telling us that they searched? You know, the software, you know, if control was just hiding in Section 31, because when I watched it in the Section 31 ship, because when I watched it the first time, I was like, so it was there all along and they just weren't skilled enough to to identify that this, you know, artificial intelligence was hiding on their ship. And I think they wouldn't have done that if I I think that that they wouldn't have laid that out there and just said, oh, well, we weren't really good at it. (laughs) You know, we kind of suck at our jobs. Um, I, I think that that. Control came through in that big tachyon burst. I that's, think you could be right. I think that that's what what it is to me. But so Burnham's dead. You know we're gonna have to go get you know another another commander for the ship. But uh, the Red Angel shows up, and you know that they, they they break out the proton packs. They almost cross the streams. They pull her in. They spring the trap. They've got her captured. And, you know, in a spectacular flash of special effects, a figure falls out of the suit, and we expect to see old Michael Burnham, but no, it's Michael's mom. Dun, dun, dun. So, roll the Bang. Yeah, roll the credits. Cut the black, roll the credits. <laughs> so here's, here's my problem, Paul. Yes, sir. They legit thought that it was Michael Burnham from the future. Yeah. So if it's Michael Burnham from the future, why is Michael Burnham involved in all of the strategy sessions? Shouldn't it be, hey, we're going to have to do something really nasty to you. I need you to go sit out in the hallway while we yeah, figure because this out. Because future Michael Burnham would know that then. Yeah, that's what I couldn't figure out in the whole episode. I'm like, why are we telling her anything? Why, if we legit think that, and they had every reason to believe it was, um, why in the hell would they tell her anything? Well, I think if by telling her the stuff... You know, it it, uh, it could inspire the Red Angel to show up at any point, right? They want the Red Angel to show up. But they want the Red Angel to show up when they're ready for the Red Angel. Well, true. If, they sh- if the Red Angel shows up at any point and they're not ready, well, you know, there's the ball game. Uh, fair point. So it's it, it, just one of those things like, okay, if we're really going to own this whole time travel thing, seems like Michael Burnham should sit in the hallway. She should be in timeout, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And I'd like to point out, you know, Captain Pike was all bent out of shape when uh, Culber and Ash Tyler fought in the mess hall. 
at no point do we get any kind of reprimand uh, to Michael Burnham for you know knocking the shit out of uh, Captain Leland. Though, no, no one may- cares. Maybe the punishment is that's fine. That is it. You die. Maybe that was the punishment. You know. <laughs> maybe <laughs> oh we're gonna kill her later today. Maybe I'll just let this one go. Yeah, I mean to be fair. <laughs> Do you really want to go through all that trouble before you're going to kill her anyway? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll save the write-up if she survives. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we're will we going to put you on a corrective action, Michael Burnham, but uh, we're going to wait till Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, did you like this episode, Paul? You know, yes and no. Um, I, I appreciate that a lot of revelations happened. I did find the... I found the I found it a lot for one episode um, to the point where because it just it demands being watched twice and I didn't get a chance to watch it twice. So you actually are telling me things about an episode I saw but didn't catch because it, so much happens in the context so of us. It is so and, you know, dense. And if it's that dense, I'm not saying I needed it to be broken out into two episodes, but it is a shorter than average episode at 48 yeah. minutes, including credits and um, you know beginning and ending credits. Uh-huh. You could, with an extra ten minutes, ten fluffy, ten fluffy minutes, I, yeah, I feel like some of the some of these um, minor quibbles I had could have been made more clear to me. Yeah. And I don't need everything spelled out for me, but literally, we've been building up for the for this episode for ten episodes, the revelation of the Red Angel, and you know the Section Thirty One confrontation, and blah 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 blah, blah. and so much happened so quickly. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, may maybe slow it down just just a bit. Um, Given that we've had a couple of episodes this year that, you know, were really genuinely side stories. Yeah. You know, but again, I I, mean, I, I did think from the acting standpoint, the acting was fantastic. I appreciated um, that these characters are growing to care and love about each other. Yeah. Um, you know, the relationships that are forming between them. So that from that standpoint, I did like it. Uh, I got to say remains to be seen. But I'm actually kind of disappointed it's Burnham's mom. That 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 kind of seems like low hanging fruit. Like, oh, Spider Man's parents are still alive, right? Um, you know, but it. it, it but I, I am going in with an open mind to see where the story goes from there. Yeah, no, I, I same way. I was like, well, okay, I guess that's I guess that's fair because we don't know enough. We don't know a lot about our parents other than you know what we've been told. Um, yeah. So I, I'm like, I guess that's fair. That really didn't feel like that was in play, but. Okay, I guess it was. I mean, you know, they they didn't telegraph that like they have. And there's been, like just like in season one, there's a lot of false leads. Right? Yeah. Um. You know, so the the writers are playing. You know, like eh, let's kind of tease some stuff out here. Um. So I I I I I I liked the episode. It's not my favorite episode of the season, despite it's the big reveal episode. Um, Agreed. But there, I, I what I do like about the episode is that there's just so many fantastic character moments. You know, there's a moment where uh, Admiral Cornwell tells Culber, you know, because Culber's like, I don't, I don't, not connecting with the memories I have. I, you know, I, I feel like those are, I remember them, but they don't feel like they're mine. Um, I, I, I just don't know what to do. And I, you know, Admiral Cornwell says something that I have long believed, uh, and that love is a choice. You know, because he's like, Stamets loves me and I don't feel that connection and I, I can't be worthy of his love until I can. And, you know, Cornwell says, you know, love is a choice. Love is a decision. You know, love isn't love isn't a feeling. You know, it is something that you choose to do. And, you know, the, the way that you 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 pave that road is by walking it. And I was like, yes, 
that is, I mean, it's it's one of those rare times in a TV show where somebody says something as if it is a truth of the universe that I actually believe. You know, so many times, you know, you get some sort of off the wall philosophy or or you know ideology, and I'm like, yeah, okay, well, it's it's a story, it's fiction. But you know, I, I th- that is actually something I truly believe, and I, I was I was so pleased to hear a character say it. You know, that, that just seems something that's so true to me uh, and that she she identified that truth for him. And it seemed to change him. You could see in Culber, in that wonderful character moment, that he's like, oh, you know, I, I can I can choose the road I'm walking. I can pave my own road. Uh, I, I just I, I really thought that that was well performed. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing you're going to get out of future episodes of Star Trek Frasier. No. Yeah, no, not you're, happening. You're, you're absolutely going to absolutely going to get that ball. I'm, I'm out. I'm out on Frasier. So, I don't need that much emotion in my in my Star Trek. So you know, we buried uh, Arium this episode, and there was the scene where Lieutenant Nelson comes to the bridge, mm-hmm. and you know, Lieutenant Lieutenant Nelson looks an awful lot like Arium's pre cybernetic enhancement self. Yeah. I, I did a hard pause on that scene. I'm like, is that the same actress? It's not. But yeah. I, I mean, I was uh, just that would like, be funny, actually. Well, and you know, I was like, that's really weird because we've seen her in her, you know, non-enhanced in that video. But I mean, I did. I was like, is that the same actress? Is you know, is she is she still here? <laughs> uh, but uh, in fact, I, I'm just going to validate through IMDb real quick. Uh, vamp for a moment, Paul. Looking for Lieutenant Nelson, see full cast. I don't know why she's not in the upper part here. This is why Aaron edits this podcast. That's right. Sarah Mitch, it is not the same actress. No. Yeah. I say thee nay. But she, yeah, and she's actually been in, wow. She has been in previous episodes of Star Trek Discovery. I had no idea. She was, she, well, actually, I'm, I'm, she was in If Memory Serves. Okay. Um, she is going to be in next week's, uh, uh, Perpetual Infinity. She will also be in episodes 12 and 13. Ah, okay. So, but yeah, she, you know, they've got her blonded up, you know, on her IMDb, IMDb page. She's, she's a redhead, but they've got her blonded up for the episode. I was just like, that would be so funny. If, uh, yeah. you know, they, they take, cause she, you know, Arium's heavily prosthetized, prostheticized. She's heavily made up, um, yeah. <laughs> in, in that, in that cybernetically enhanced character. So, I mean, you could do that if we hadn't seen what she looked like as a human, you know, as, yeah. as a non-enhanced human. So, all right, Paul. So next week we get, uh, perpetual infinity. And beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Well, and, and much like the wait for next week's episode. So in the time being, while you guys wait a week for another Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, there are ways in which you can engage with us. Are there? Are there ways, Paul? There are. And you don't have to travel through time. You can do them right here in the present with our with our modern technology, including getting in touch with us on Facebook, IOM Geek, Twitter at Ideology Madness, or Instagram at IOM Geek, and we have a hotline. Yeah, you can give us a call from the future at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise, and we'll even send it to you right there to your home in the future. 
Ooh. Snap. And you know what else we need, uh, you know, whether in the future, the past, the present, wherever you are within the continuum, uh, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Tell the world, tell the time stream your feelings about Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Paul, I am looking forward to talking to you next week about... Perpetual, perpetual infinity. infinity. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 